Thank you guys. I'm thankful to Trey and for our choir for introducing us to a new song these last few weeks. First as a choir special and then um, twice as a congregational song now. And so hopefully we know it together and can sing it together in the church about the goodness of God. God is a uh, an ever good father. And we're looking at the book of Daniel today again, <clears throat> which is really an accounting of God's goodness in some of the hardest times. I mean, Daniel is walking a road none of us would envy. He's taken in exile as a young boy, maybe 15, 16, 17 years old, along with others from his homeland of Judah. He was taken from there a 900-mile journey to what is now Iraq and taken to a pagan temple and a pagan palace with a pagan king, a, a powerful king, Nebuchadnezzar, a, 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 an empire like he's never seen before. I mean, just, just opulence and false gods and just the, the control of, of, a, of a mighty dictator there. And he is to live there among them with their rules and their orders and their ways. And he does this, and uh, time after time throughout this uh, situation, he finds himself in trouble, facing hardship, not just the hardship that comes, along, uh, comes against all of us from living in a fallen world, but the hardship for wanting and being faithful to live out what he believes in a culture that is against it. We, are set, we see ourselves in that as Daniel walks in exile in this country. So we're in Daniel chapter 2 today, and we'll be reading together uh, the entire chapter, and it is long, okay? Uh, so please uh, just let's, let's read this together. Look in your Bible, bear with me, and try to stay focused. <clears throat> 50-some-odd verses, I think, uh, 49 actually. Um, and for, so 49 verses uh, that really capture this story of what God is doing. Last week we saw that Daniel having been taken into exile and trained according to their ways, finally uh, had a, 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 a conscience moment where he said, no, I, I cannot, I will not defile myself with the king's food. He stood up uh, with God's help and God gave him favor. Uh, and in fact, uh, Daniel and his friends wound up better off than all those who ate the food from the king's table. And they were not only enriched in their life, but they were appointed as members of the king's court, God, through this awful situation, had now put right in the middle of the court of the king of Babylon a mouthpiece for the one true and living God, something that never would have happened uh, except for the pain and difficulty that Daniel had been through. God is working out a purpose and a plan, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the worst conditions of suffering. And so take your Bible, if you will, let's read this together. If you don't have a Bible with you today, uh, these words will be on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible in your life, we don't want anyone leaving here today without a good, reliable copy of God's Word just for you. And we have those on the table in the back. You feel free to take that, no charge to you at all. Uh, we just want you to have that if you need it. Verse 1. <clears throat> in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. You ever been in that situation? Laid awake at night thinking of something, you're troubled, you can't go to sleep, you're worried about this. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, 
found himself in that situation. Verse 2, Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Uh, that is, to know the meaning of the dream. He assembles all of these who are experts in these matters. We don't have those experts really anymore, I mean much, but, but back then they were, this was a big deal. There were very studied people who, who were uh, experts in this. They came before the king. He told them his situation. Verse 4, Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. I'm not going back on this. This is how it's going to be. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb for limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. That's a nice guy to work with, isn't it? That's like working with Kathy Kemp uh, here at the, <laughs> at the church. Um, you lay, your houses will be laid in ruins, but if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and <clears throat> great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They said a second time, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you were trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. It's like, guys, I've said it once. I'm not going to say it again. Verse 9, if you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence from you for you. There's but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. Why is he being so difficult about this? Here's my thoughts on it. The Bible doesn't tell us. This dream greatly disturbed him. Now, he had other, other dreams, certainly. He had called these folks in before. Uh, this, this is not a strange thing to them. But in this case, the dream was so concerning to him that he wanted to be 100% sure that the interpretation was accurate, that it was divinely given, that, that it was true. How can he know for sure that they're not just telling him what he wants to hear? Well, he can know if they are able to tell him what the dream was to begin with. What is the, if, if, if guys, if you've got the goods to tell me the dream, then I know that the interpretation will be just as sure. <clears throat> And so he tells them all this. Therefore, tell me the dream, the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can, now, they probably didn't say it like that. He, I mean, he is an awesome king. But they said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. They're resorting to flattery here. No, you're, you're a great and powerful king. No great and powerful. Don't you want to be like the other great and powerful kings? None of them have ever asked anything like this of a Chaldean or a, an enchanter or, of a magician. Verse 11, the thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. We cannot do it. 
Our arms fail us in this matter. We're just human. This is impossible. Verse 12, because of this, the king was, now listen to this, angry and very furious. The Bible does this on purpose. He is in a frenzy and he commands that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were, at, were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions. These companions, we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? You're familiar with them probably. Uh, sought out Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch. Notice that. Daniel's reply is with wisdom and tact and counsel, prudence and discretion. The captain of the king, he, he replied to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Antioch, uh, to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made known to Daniel the situation, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So Daniel goes in and says, let me come before you, O king. I can do this. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. This, this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, now this prayer, this hymn here, take it home with you, put it in your pocket, use this in your devotion time. Here's what Daniel said back to God. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness. I love that, that one phrase. We, we serve a God who knows what is in the darkness. What could that mean? It could mean a couple things. He knows things we can't see right? But listen, I think it also means uh, he, he knows the dark places that we walk, right? He knows the things that are in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we have asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, he went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king's interpretation. What kind of crazy boldness is this? Who had issued the first command to destroy the wise men of Babylon? Nebuchadnezzar, the mighty emperor of that, of that, of that magnificent place, had issued the, the fearsome man of power. Daniel has the gall to go into this guy and, and, and give a, a, to countermand that order and said, do not do this. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I will show the interpretation. That's some serious confidence in Yahweh. Verse 25, then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles... <clears throat> from Judah, a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. 
The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. More of the same. I mean, if you're Nebuchadnezzar, you're, you're like, this is more of this. Why did you waste my time with this? And Ariok, uh, this is your last day, right? You're, you're fired at best. I mean, you might mean this is your absolutely, truly your very last day ever uh, on earth. But um, yeah, I mean, more of the same. That Daniel just says more of the same. No wise man, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. Verse 28 is powerful, but there is a God in heaven. Just keep that one, would you? Just keep that for your life. Nobody can withstand the pain I'm going through, but there is a God in heaven. I've got a loving God. Nobody can walk through the loss that I've experienced. I mean, I'm going to break apart here, but there is a God in heaven who can do it with me and for me. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, verse 28, and has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions that you, in your, of your head as you lay in your bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what it is to be. So here's the situation. What, what's this say exactly? King Nebuchadnezzar was laying in his bed. You ever have thoughts when you're laying in your bed? I mean, the deep things come, the fears come, the apprehension, the uncertainty. Nebuchadnezzar is laying there, and he's having thoughts of what's going to be after this. I'm a mighty king. I'm in a great kingdom. What's, what's going to come next? What's going to happen when I'm gone? Will I be able to hold on to this? You know, and, and with those thoughts, he fell asleep and dreamed those thoughts. You ever had an experience during the day and had a dream of it at night? That's, what it, that's what's happening to this king. He's having this dream because of the thoughts that were in his head. God sent him <clears throat> this dream. It's showing what is to be. But as for me, verse 30, this mystery has been revealed to me, Daniel says, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be no, made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts <clears throat> of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, this image mighty and of exceeding brightness. I mean, this was, I mean, the magnificent stood before you. And its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of gold. Its chest and arms were of silver. Its middle and thighs were of bronze. Its legs were of iron. And its feet were partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand. Imagine this. There's this image. And all of a sudden, somehow, in the space of this dream, a stone begins to appear. I mean, as, as if maybe it was being cut out, but there was no human hand doing it. It, it was otherworldly. It appeared seemingly out of nowhere. It was not part of the, the statue or the figure. Uh, as you looked, the stone was cut out by no human hand and struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken into pieces and became like the chaff of the summer 
threshing floors. This imagery is graphic. Uh, visualize it, if you will, on a modern screen with all the CGI, if that's the right word, with all the, the special effects, that this mighty statue is struck by this rock that is cut out by no human hand, and it not only is busted to pieces, it becomes like the chaff of the threshing floor. That's not the sawdust in your workshop. The little pieces of leftover wheat uh, that, that are... That are useless. They're so small, they're so tiny. This, this thing, this statue, fragments into tiny nothingness. It is gone, the, the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be gone. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the entire earth, filled the whole earth. Verse 36, this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold." Now, this is a flattering situation, right? It's going good so far if you're Nebuchadnezzar. Like, yes, that's right. I am the head of gold. And all this power is described and compressed into the kingship of Nebuchadnezzar, king of kings. Yeah, everybody everywhere, every beast and all is under your rule and government, governance. But he does not doing so, do so without telling him first who gave this to him. There is one higher even than that king of kings is the God of heaven who does it. Another kingdom, verse 39, inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze shall rule over all the earth, and there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, because iron breaks into pieces and shatters all things, and like iron that crushes it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the iron, <clears throat> with, with the soft clay. And as the toes and the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as the iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, here's this term again, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It's not going to pass on. It's not going to be taken over. It's not going to be conquered. It shall break into pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand, what? Forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Verse 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods. And Lord of kings 
and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Verse 49, Daniel made a request to the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Don't you know that Daniel had every cause? I mean, here he's dragged away. Here he's already faced an issue over the food and his life's threatened and never know what's going to happen. Don't you know that he had every cause to ask, why, why God? Why is this happening? But God has a purpose in these trials. God has a very loving reason for walking his children through this. He wants to strengthen their assurance. I and mean, he wants to just drive it home that no matter who's on the throne, God is in control. No matter who seems to be in charge, there is a God who supersedes, who overrules, and who outlasts whatever earthly powers are in place. And I think we see this in four stages today, and I will go quickly if I can. First, an unsolvable problem, verses 1 through 11. An unsolvable problem. God has purposed here a problem, a dream even, that is deliberately impossible. It's unsolvable. Nobody can deal with it. It's humanly, it humanly escapes everyone. There, there is a wisdom in this. God is showing his people that there is a wisdom and a power that is not available within humanity. It is not sourced within the, our possessions and our resources. It only comes from God. We don't have all that we need, all the reasoning, all the understanding, all the power. We were at Belk the other day looking for something, a dress actually for one of the kids. <clears throat> you know which one, I guess. Um, but anyway, for one of the kids. And I get in trouble now when I use their names, so I try to be anonymous. But anyway, um, me and the boys were walking around, and one of them found a hat. Uh, he's not here today. I'm just going to say it. It's Jackson. Uh, he had wisdom tooth surgery. He's not here, so I get away with it. Jackson found a hat he wanted, uh, and uh, he was looking at it. He doesn't look at things much. He doesn't spend much money. He doesn't ask for much. And it was $35, and he, put it, he looked at it. He put it down. I thought, no, I don't want to spend that money right now. I said, well, buddy, I'll get, I'll get you that hat. He said, no, Dad, no, that's too much money. You don't have to do it. I said, it looks like it's on clearance. I said, why don't we go ask that lady to scan it? He said, no, I don't want to. <clears throat> By then, uh, others were chiming in on this, and I could feel he was getting, feeling the pressure cooker effect of all of us wanting him to do that. He was, he was getting upset. The more he said no, I was getting upset. It was one of those dad-son moments in the belk, you know, <laughs> and... Um, there we were, and I could tell this is a stalemate. I could tell if I pushed much further, I was going to get mad. He's going to get mad. He just laid down the hat. I said, okay, that's cool. I, you know, don't worry about it. You know, maybe another time. He kept drifting back over to the hat. After everybody else kind of wandered away from our family, I, I said, let's just check it. You know, let's just go check the hat. No, Dad, I know, it's, I know this is $35. I know this is $35. We went over to the lady finally, and said, you know, how much is this hat? Stick under the scanner, $9.60, right? I felt like a champion. I mean, <clears throat> you know that the Olympics, they have those things to stand on? I wanted to find one and step up on there, you know, knock over a mannequin and get up. <clears throat> I, I was like, I mean, 
And I say that just as a funny illustration. We don't always know everything. And we can be totally convinced that, that our resources uh, give us the fullness of what we need. But there are always others who know more than us, who speak into things, who offer a strength that we don't have. We know that within the fellowship of the church to be true. It is true also of God, and God walks his, these men, and he walks us today through this episode so that we can remember again, we don't know it all. There are some things that escape you and me. There are some trials and some pain and some challenges, some deep darknesses that we simply do not have the frame to bear up beneath. But God does. No human could do this, O oh great and mighty king. This is impossible that, that, it could, it, that anybody could do this. What you ask is a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing to walk through this life. It's a difficult thing to live out your faith in a hostile world. I want to ask you the question this morning. Is God strong enough to carry us through? Is he strong enough? Can he provide what we need? Does he have a redemptive, a transformative purpose in what we're going through, what you're going through right now? Is God different enough from us that he can do things that we cannot do. This impossible problem is God's mighty demonstration that he absolutely is able and that we need to realize that we're absolutely oftentimes not. There's a reliance on God here. But secondly, we've got an unsolvable problem. We've got an unrattled confidence, verses 12 through 30. An unrattled confidence. There is a deliberate and defined contrast here between the reaction of Nebuchadnezzar and the reaction of Daniel. Look at verses 12 and uh, 13 and 14 here. You'll see it. How does Nebuchadnezzar react? The king was angry and very furious. He was in a frenzy, wasn't he? I mean, he just flew off the handle. He lost his mind. And in that moment, he's shouting. He orders that all the wise men of Babylon to be destroyed. Let them be killed. I mean, he just goes off. And in a moment later... Daniel learns of the situation, and what is it that he is seen to do? Then Daniel, verse 14, replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch. What this means, if you're Bible, you've got a different version of the Bible, here are the words used in some of the most trusted versions. Wisdom, counsel, discernment. This is how Daniel replied with a calm composure that comes from walking with God. There is an unrattled confidence here in Daniel. He goes in before Eric and says, whatever the king said to do, don't do that. Do what I, listen to me. That takes great confidence in God. Nebuchadnezzar was angry. Daniel was prudent. Nebuchadnezzar brought chaos. Daniel had confidence. Nebuchadnezzar reacted out of fear. Daniel reacted in courage. He didn't fear he didn't fear what might happen to him. I was watching when I was a kid with my grandparents um, the movie Jaws. Anybody ever seen that? No, nobody's ever seen Jaws. Uh, uh, my grandparents let me watch things I shouldn't have watched. Um, I was a little guy, Raiders, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones. I could tell you stories about movies I watched at their house. Good people, but uh, they let me watch Jaws as a little guy. 
I remember it. And one thing I particularly remember is uh, the moment in the movie Jaws where a diver has gone down to a sunken shipwreck. And all of a sudden, he's going around calm and just serene, placid. The music's nice. And all of a sudden, in the porthole, right? You know. You know what's happening. In the porthole, a disembodied head just pops into the porthole. And the, a blast of a brass a trumpet or something in the, in the soundtrack. I mean, it just alerts you and alarms you. And from his neck are hanging, like, neck things, right? <laughs> It's one of those, uh, what do you call it, jump, a jump scare. And, buddy, I jumped. And from that time forward, I had that image in my mind forever. I watched Jaws again uh, other times in my life. And guess what didn't scare me the second time around? That. I knew it was coming, right? I, mean, I'm not, I wasn't scared by that again. I knew it was coming. Daniel, why is he not scared? Well, there's no evidence that he knows what is coming, necessarily. He doesn't know with certainty exactly what God may do. He doesn't know what to expect, but he knows the one who does know what's coming. Amen? He knows the one who does know what lies ahead, and he is not scared. There is an unrattled confidence in this. Where did Daniel get this confidence, this fearlessness? It came from his relationship and knowledge with God. What does Daniel do in verse 17? Daniel goes to the people of God. He's confronted with this problem. He doesn't lose his head like Nebuchadnezzar. He goes to his three buddies and says, here's the situation, guys. He goes to the people of God. He seeks the face of God. He tells those guys in verse 18, seek, let, let us seek mercy from God. That means prayer. I, mean, I, I can imagine the prayers of that room in that moment, in that foreign land. He sought the face of God. He sang the praise of God, verses 20 through 23. When, when God answered that prayer, he praised him. Verse 24, he carried the message of God. Verse 28, he pointed to the glory of God. He didn't claim glory for himself. He said, there's nobody who can do this, but there is a God in heaven. He knew the Lord, and it made all the difference to his confidence. Why is Daniel's response so different from the king's? Because his trust is in a totally different place. Why are we able to move through this life with divine peace, divine promise? Because our strength is not in this life, is it? Our strength, your strength, is not in this life. It is not sourced here. We have a source that is outside of ourselves, is outside of this very existence. It is, in fact, the stone that is carved by no human hand. We have a trust that is placed in the everlasting Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. Well, yesterday was fine, but today is messed up. And I'm afraid about what tomorrow brings. It's the same Savior always. We can have an unrattled confidence. We see an unsolvable problem, an unrattled confidence, and an unmatched power. An unmatched power. These verses are amazing to me. Nebuchadnezzar is, is called the king of kings here. But God is referred to by three superior titles. The God of heaven twice. And the great God, verse 35, he's called the great God. There's a contrast here between the gods that Nebuchadnezzar may appeal to or the king himself and to the God of gods, the, the God of heaven. There's a contrast here possibly in verses 5 and 8 too, which, which I love. Look at this with me if you will. What does he say in verse 5 and 8? He says these words, the word from me is what? Firm. 
the word from me is firm. But then later on, Daniel says, the dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. Nebuchadnezzar, you can say all you want to that the word from you is firm. But when God speaks, no one turns it back. He has the final say. You know, I love eating at Cracker Barrel. It's a wonderful place. And, uh, you know, I say that sometimes it's where God lives, right? Um, I love the Cracker Barrel for a lot of reasons. But one thing I particularly love about it is it's the only restaurant I know of where they wear like their rank on their aprons. They have stars. You know of these stars, right? They have stars. Four stars, I think, is the highest. It means you're the best. This is the best waitress in the whole place if they have four stars. Have you all seen these stars? Okay. They've got these stars. Three, sometimes it's three stars, two stars, eh, one star sometimes. <laughs> there are some that have zero stars. Have you all seen this? Okay. They're called rising stars. And they have a tiny little star on there, like a miniature star. And it's got a little trail behind it, like a comet. Like they're getting their star. Like it's, it's about to come onto their apron. They're just a rising star. You want the four-star lady. If you get the rising star lady, you know, because we're Christians here, we're going to be nice. But you ain't getting no biscuits, right? I mean, <clears throat> God shows in this moment what his stars are, right? Nebuchadnezzar, verse 37, you, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given all of the, I mean, I mean, look how mighty you are. Look how high you sit. I mean, there's no one like you, O Nebuchadnezzar, but there is one greater than you. And God shows here that it is he who has the final say. Are there powers arrayed against you and me in this world? You bet. Oh, man, you, you bet there are, especially if we're going to live out our faith. Sure, are, are we exiles in a kingdom that is not our own? Yes, we are. Will we face difficulties? Absolutely, we will. But do they possess the final authority? Absolutely not. There is a God in heaven, the Bible says, and he does whatever he wishes. It does not matter who sits beneath him. In these worldly powers, there's a worldly power, I mean, an unmatched power here accessible to you and me because we know the Lord. And lastly and quickly, we see an unending kingdom, an unending kingdom. This is so powerful. The dream dramatically reveals that Nebuchadnezzar's throne is a temporary one. I mean, it's going to be knocked down. His days are numbered and so are the kingdoms after his, for they're going to be shattered by another kingdom. This mighty statue is beautiful, and even though he's the head of, of expensive gold, none of it matters because God has set up another kingdom. A rock, a stone cut not by human hands is coming onto the scene, and it is going to shatter those kingdoms of this world. And not only is it going to shatter them, it's, it itself is going to fill the whole earth, and it's going to last forever. I took my kids home to uh, Tennessee a while back, and Went to my little hometown of East Ridge right there at exit one on 75 North. When I was a kid, they built a brand new McDonald's. Brand new. I mean, awesome McDonald's. You remember the old playgrounds, the big Grimace cage, right? Or the Hamburglar. You could climb up in the Hamburglar. It was all made of metal. 
I mean, I guess that's so you learn a lesson, right? You know, you wake up from your concussion and you know better next time. But it was all made of metal. And it was all just a classic big playground. They had a door that adults go in, but then they had a little miniature door for the kids. I don't know if you ever saw that at McDonald's. I loved it. As a kid, man, you always want to go in that miniature door. Brand new um, little birthday party uh, play this area in the McDonald's. It was awesome. And we had a brand new McDonald's. I went through there with the kids, and it is a check cashing place now. Like, a, what do they call those? Uh, the Tweety's Auto Sales or something. You know, you cash your check there. You get a pay, paycheck advance. You can buy a used car there on, on credit if you want to. Uh, it was all decorated up for that. The McDonald's, gone. Other things in my town were gone, too. The Pioneer Frontier, the big playground that we all helped build as high school students and all put our hands, you know, in, in, the, in the stuff. It's torn down. It's removed. Listen, the things of this world are all passing away. Even the mighty kingdoms of this world, you can go up to Washington today and tour the Supreme Court building. Man, the marble of that, it's, it's magnificent. It's imposing and intimidating. It's meant to be on the world stage, <clears throat> a setting that strikes respect and shows dignity of who we are and how lasting we will be as a country. One of these days, it's going to be gone. Your house that you bought or built or designed is going to be gone. It's all going to be gone. But there is one thing that lasts forever. There's an unending kingdom of which you and I in Christ are eternal citizens forever. You have a king on the throne today that you will never call upon and he will be vacated. Oh, he's not here no more. Oh, he died. Oh, he's gone. We call on King Jesus. He's the everlasting king, and this is an everlasting kingdom. Don't be deceived, wasting your life clamoring after what is sure to pass away. Even the things that today are new and strong and lasting will be frail and fallen, brittle and broken tomorrow at some time in the future. It's all temporary. It's all layered into that mighty figure, that mighty statue that was in the king's dream. But listen, God never fails, does he? He never fails. That's amazing. There are those outside of Christ who cry into emptiness because they're without a savior. But you and I have a kingdom that never fails and that will never end. You plant your life in that and you won't regret it. You plant your life there, you walk with him. When crisis comes, you're not going to be the man of chaos, losing your head. You're going to be the one who speaks with prudence and discernment. You're going to be the one who walks with confidence. No, you don't know exactly what God is going to do ahead. But, buddy, you know the one who can do whatever he wants. He overrules and outlasts the kingdoms of this world. In the end, this winds up being about Jesus Although it was written long before Jesus made his way onto this earth. But many years after this prophecy, in, in, in the prime of the mighty Roman Empire, the arrival of this dream's everlasting stone, the stone cut by no human hand, was announced to a young girl in, Beth, in Nazareth. And here's what the Bible says that she was told. And 
The angel said to her, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob, how long? Forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. This Jesus, the Bible says, is the stone that was rejected by the builders and has become the cornerstone. What happens to a cornerstone? Everything builds out from there. This stone, Jesus, is the one whose kingdom is filling the whole earth. This stone, this child, this baby, this corpse on a cross has now been raised from the dead and is the very one that has grown into a mighty mountain to fill the whole earth and his kingdom is everlasting. It is in his kingdom and his kingdom alone. It's to fill the earth and it's to last forever. Have you trusted Jesus this morning? Many of you here would have to say, well, yes, of course I have. There are those here who haven't. Why not place your trust in what's never going to fail you? Why not place your trust in that which overrules and supersedes and outlasts the powers that face us in this earth? And if you are a child of God today, if your salvation is in Jesus Christ, man, why not walk near to him? Why not be the man described here that goes and speaks and worships and prays and knows this God. He came, he gave his life, he rose from the dead to prove he'll never fail, and he won't. Let me pray for us. In just a moment, I'd like to offer you a chance to respond to God's word, or maybe to something spoken to you by the Spirit of God himself. This has been a long sermon because there was a lot to read and a lot to say. But I hope you have a moment left to listen, to hear, even to ask of God what it is he wants for you today. What's the blessing he wants to bring? What's the change he wants to make? What's the new thing he wants to do? What's the comfort he wants to bring? What's the assurance that you need? Maybe today you'll hear from him and respond. You can come up front here and bow the knee at, at this altar. You can come ask for prayer. You can pray right there where you're at. But if the Lord speaks, wouldn't you move today? Maybe you need to come to the waters of baptism. Listen, there's no substitute for obeying Jesus and walking into those waters. Today, we can set that up for you even as soon as next week. We'd celebrate that with you. Maybe you come for salvation. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to know all the words and the steps. You just come to me. The Lord does not make it difficult. You repent of your sins, you turn to him, you proclaim your belief in him, and Jesus has said that he will save us. Maybe you come for salvation today. God will change your life forever. You'll never know what happened when the Lord gets hold of your life. Maybe you come for membership or some other decision. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God today. Thank you for trusting it to us. Father, may you do something with it that matters eternally. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing, and as we do, the floor is open for you to come.